So I just bought one share of Match.com because I think Match, the dating service and online dating and kind of there's a whole bunch of, you know, analytics to make it a good a good investment as well. But there's just so many good buys out there. And really, it comes back to you may not realize this yet, but the man you just heard could very well end up becoming your best friend. His name is Greg Ryder, and he's often referred to as the entrepreneur's best friend. Greg has spent the past 15 years coaching thousands of entrepreneurs to market their businesses, set up e-commerce stores, and get that cash rolling in for them. Talk about taking it from the friend zone to the end zone, am I right? By the end of this episode, Greg will have you chomping at the bit to take action. Welcome to the Instant Leverage Podcast. All right, uh, Greg Ryder, how are you? I'm loving life, man. Loving life in this crazy world we live in, man. It's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, I uh, I actually got introduced to you through a previous guest, uh, Cody Near, who's actually one of my good friends uh, in the real world. And uh, he's just like, you got to meet this guy. Um, he's doing big things. And I uh, checked out some of your stuff. So um, tell everybody a little bit about uh, what you do right now and what your story is. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, I, I have a really interesting story. So I, I listen to your story and, and I just love seeing young guys that are have the right mindset or taking things to, to the, to the, you know, there's doing, getting stuff done and kind of going back in my career, which it, it's a little short little story, but you ever read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Of course. Yeah, of course. So that book was written about me. So I was born into a really, really wealthy family out of Denver, Colorado. And my parents got divorced when I was two. My mom got married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. And I visited my rich dad and uh, my rich dad got me into investing when I was 19 years old. I then read the book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I read a book by Dennis Waitley and Jim Rohn and Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy. And I thought, dude, this is incredible. I got my securities license when I was 21. And within the first eight months of me having my securities license, I bought the firm I worked for and I was the youngest owner of a full service investment bank in the history of the country at age 21. And that was my first big mistake in life, by the way. But that kind of led the, the, the foundation for everything that's, that I have become and who I am, right? So I got into personal development, got the right mindset, took the attitude that I could do anything with the right mindset, wasn't going to blame my dad, my, their divorce, my, you know, my, my dad was actually an alcoholic as well. Uh, and I had to do it myself. And so I just got that going. And the next thing you know, I spent the next 20 years of my life raising money for entrepreneurs and, and, and taking companies public and IPO and kind of the Wolf of Wall Street. And you probably saw that movie too, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. So I was literally living in that world. I wasn't quite like they were in that movie. It was that movie was a little drama, little little dramatic, but we were raising money for companies, making money and helping entrepreneurs. And then I left that business, moved out here to California, Southern California, and spent the next 15, 20 years of my life coaching and mentoring entrepreneurs. I, I love my nickname's the entrepreneur's best friend because I can help somebody with their spreadsheets, their business plan, their mindset, um, strategy, tactics the whole entire works as then, then fundraising. So if you need to raise capital or get investors in your, in your pool or whatever, and then the whole exit strategies and that kind of stuff. And I have this amazing background of doing that kind of stuff. Um, and now I'm, 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 I am an entrepreneur, right? So I, I formed a new company called Celebrity Lifestyle Brands a couple of years ago. And with my partner, who's arguably the biggest branding fashion mogul on the planet. And uh, that led us to create our own e-commerce platform called LaunchCart. And we're off on our trek, you know, our trek to create the next unicorn and 
put a couple billion dollars in our pocket before we retire and, and make the world a better place when it comes to e-commerce and, and helping celebrities, influencers, and brands monetize their social media through, through e-commerce. Wow. So, okay. Let's kind of, <laughs> let's kind of break this down to, to the fundamentals. So you've, you've obviously like you've created multiple companies. Um, have you sold, you've sold multiple companies as well? Yeah, no, I've had a number of exits and been involved with um, investing in, I've invested in probably over a thousand companies in my career. So Most what, of them losers, you know, 960 <laughs> of them. <laughs> so what are, uh, what are some of the fundamentals that you, you uh, carry into from one business when starting another that are kind of universal? So you're like, okay, here's, uh, in order for me to, to get involved in this, it must have X, Y, Z. I must see this opportunity. What are some of those things uh, that you carry throughout the multiple business ventures? You know, that's a great question. And, and what led me to get that answer is when I left the securities industry, I looked back at my portfolio and literally had, you know, a, a, a file thick of stock certificates that were worthless. And I'm like, why did these companies lose? And I really started analyzing, looking back, and it kind of came to two things, marketing and management, right? So if you got the right team and you bet on the right team and you put the right team in place, you have a really, really good chance of success. And if you have the right marketing and the right team, you cannot lose, right? And sometimes you can have the wrong team and good marketing and still win. So I kind of set off on this path to be one of the best marketers and started studying marketing when I retired from the securities industry. But I really look at team and marketing. And then if you were to break that down, you look at um, mindset, right? If you, I can't tell you how many tens of thousands of pitches I've taken. You know, think of Shark Tank and that kind of stuff. Like all these people pitch me to raise the money. And I have my certain red flags that go off instantly that next, because I've learned I'm not going to try to coach an entrepreneur who doesn't want to be coached. And they all say they want to be coached and they all say they're coachable, but you can pick up on certain things they say and they do that you go, nope, that's like pushing water uphill. He's done next. So there's these red flags uh, that, that, I, that I see, or I have a couple questions that I ask to see if, if, if they're the right fit. Uh, but I look at that mindset and I'm one of these guys too. Like what's in your library and you guys can't see, you, know, you can see my, my, <laughs> my bookshelf over there. What's in my library? Go every shelf. And that's only one of like six yeah, bookshelves over here for those of you guys listening. <laughs> yeah. All the classics are. Yeah, no, you can go pull it off and you got the rich dad, poor dads, and you got the marketing books and you got the mindset books and you got the social media marketing books. And I mean, everything about growing. So I bought into that philosophy that Jim Rohn uh, taught me. It's like, one, you don't blame anybody but yourself, period. And two, if you're not learning, you're dying. So I made a commitment to myself, you know, that I was going to learn every day of my life. And I, I can't say I have done that, but I can tell you I've almost done it. Like I spent at least 20 minutes a day learning. And I've done it, you know, since I was 21 years old. So I look to people that have that same mindset, that are open to growth, that are coachable, that recognize they don't know it all. Um, and then you can, you know, talk about the marketing, which you kind of understand the marketing. So, so the two things, the two uh, first things you mentioned was marketing and management. So what are, what resources do you lean on or did you lean on to get the marketing know-how and then the management know-how? Well, the management know-how I just got through the school of hard knocks, right? You're investing and backing and working with a lot of failures and a lot of people. And then you just kind of learn the tendencies and the traits of people that don't are not honorable or don't have integrity. So again, one of the things I coach entrepreneurs is one of the very first things they need to do is you need to sit down and write your value sets down. Like what, what, what are your values? Like mine's honesty, integrity, 
uh, being on time, all these different value sets. Like, and then you start to see who that is. And you can see who people, you know, that old saying, it's like, if you're going to cheat on that, you're going to cheat on this. You know, you see, so you're working with somebody like, oh, well, that, you know, they make a little white lie, so to speak. I'm like, okay, I just, you know, so you look at those little things. Um, so look at the values at, at the, the people are working with. And then on the marketing side, so that's just like the school hard knocks and personal development learning and, and getting my own value set down. And again, I'm married 37 years, right? I got five kids, you know, you can kind of look at the kids, you can look at the stuff and you kind of go a little bit deeper to look at who you want to be in business with, who you want to partner with. And then on the marketing side, um, simple. If you can't track it, you can't optimize it. If you can't optimize it, you lose. So you have that. to do everything in a fashion that you can track and optimize. And you, and you know this from what you're getting into and what you're seeing, right? How many ad agencies on fifth? Well, of course there is no fifth Avenue in New York anymore, but how many ad agencies will run these ads and do these campaigns and they don't, there's no way to track it, no way to give you an ROI, nowhere to tell you what your cost, customer acquisition costs and you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just like nowadays it's like we can track everything where everybody came from, everything about them and then we can optimize it. We can spin the dials and we can make more money and make a, make what, what it might have been a not profitable campaign profitable. Yeah. We just invested in a yesterday software called a high roast by Alex Becker. I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar, but um, the whole purpose of it is so that we can see every ad that somebody clicks and their entire journey before they buy um, so that we can see that the calls the, the ads that are producing calls that are cheaper are not necessarily the best ones um, and just get better data. And that's one of the thing I, I har- one of the things I harp on all the agency owners that we work with is uh, we have a tracking sheet that we fill out every single day. Um, well, our, our virtual assistants do where they um, fill out uh, how many times your ads were shown, how many times they were clicked, what was your opt-in percentage for that day? How many leads did you acquire? How many calls did you book? How many of those showed up? How many did you close? How many did you close on a one call on a follow-up? Um, how much outreach did you do on all the other platforms? And then it creates a trend based on that. So over time we can see what uh, metrics are correlated with increased revenue. Um, and yeah. that's just something that we hired a guy on Upwork, worked with them for like a month or two to just be able to build out for us um, so that we can make decisions so much more effectively. Yeah, no, it's critical. And Alex is a, is, is a great guy. I love Hydros. It's a fantastic pl- platform and good on you for, for pulling the trigger with him. Uh, he, he'll, he'll make you, he'll, he'll, he'll help you optimize what you're doing and find you some, uh, some lost money. Yeah, for sure. So um, I also wanted to ask, one of the things that you mentioned is, is you've worked with a lot of people, you've invested in a lot of things. So I'm sure you've seen like every kind of person that there is out, out there, like good people, bad people, scam artists, whatever. Um, so I'm sure you have some pretty strong filters for filtering out like who you want to uh, work with. And I, you mentioned some of that. So what are like, what are some of the ways that you go about, um, I guess, screening somebody to decide if you're going to let them into your world and if you're going to want to work with them or whatever. Yeah. You know what? It, 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 it depends on kind of what the, what, what the context is like. So if I'm looking at investing and you call me up and you want me to invest in your company, as I'm looking at your company, like some of the first things I might do, especially if I can come on site and meet with you, I want to talk to your secretary. I want to talk to your, your, your assistant. I want to talk to the sales manager. I want to talk to the person running business development. I want to talk to the tech team. I want to, I want you to give me login to your support portal, right? Cause the support portal tells you everything. 
Like mm-hmm. you can tell me you're doing great and everything's going fantastic and people love my software, love my deal or whatever. But if I love your, log into your support portal and I see just pe- people bitching and screaming and crying all the time. So, you, so that's one thing. And just that idea of talking to the secretary, you can get so much insight from the people that work there, right? And then again, let's say it's just something you're, you're talking about. Maybe you and I are going to talk about doing a joint venture, right? It's, it's, it's the same old stuff as far as you know, what books do you read? What's your family life? You know, what do you, do you go to church? Are you a church? You know, what, who, I want to know more about you as a person because I'm at the age, like I'm 58 years old. I'm at the age, I don't have to do business with people I don't want to do business with, right? So, it, it, so it's me about, well, I want to do business with people I like, I respect, and then have the, the, the same values and integrity, you know, that I have, right? Because otherwise, I, it, and again, if you could take that philosophy as you're young, you're young, right? If you can take that philosophy forward, you're gonna have better partnerships. You're gonna have, you know, just everything's gonna be better about everything you do in your business life. As a matter of fact, I'll share with you, and if you wanna share with your audience too, I have this document called the 10 Steps to the Perfect Agreement. And so anyone you ever wanna do business with, you go through these 10 steps, right? And you talk about what is the, what is the overall intent. And then, and then really you kinda of get into this prenuptial type stuff. So you and I are doing a deal together, right? And we say, your role is this and my role is this. But everyone kind of talks about that. We kind of go into a deal knowing that. But then what happens if you don't do your end of the deal? Or what happens if I don't do my end of the deal? Mm-hmm. What is that prenuptial type agreement that says, hey, if you don't meet the expectations that we've agreed to here in writing, how do we get divorced? How yeah. do we change the ownership? How do we change the royalty structure? How do we change the revenue share? So it's really about that communication and having that communication up front and, and and sometimes you'll find the people mm-hmm. you start to have those communications with them and you can just tell they are uncomfortable with it. They postpone meetings. They put them off. They don't really answer you in, in full and you're going, okay, there's a sign. It's like that one comedian. Yeah, I, um, I, I haven't had many partnerships. I've had one. And uh, the biggest issue was just not laying out the expectations on both parties at the on the front end right. um, and all the way down to like, for example, if 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 you're getting married, uh, which that's essentially what this is, you like what's going to happen? Like, do you talk about what happens if you end up in the hospital for six months? Is this person okay with running the whole company and still paying you even if you're in the hospital? Like, I feel like that's stuff that needs to be talked about ahead of time if you plan on partnering. A lot of what ifs, a lot of uncomfortable conversations, a lot of uh, you know scenario running, and just talking that out and then having a, a plan for that as well, um, which I don't see a lot of the time in uh, partnerships and also deciding like, what's your goal? Like I have uh, friends that were in a partnership company got really successful. One wanted to, you know, build it and 10 exit. And the other one loved traveling and, and uh, hanging out and, and like, you know, doing outdoor activities and stuff like that. And th- that the point the company was at was enough for him to be able to do that and not have to work anymore. So that created like major conflict. So um, at least from my, my third party outside perspective. So um, what are some that's of the, a real, that's a, I, I, if you were to just do nothing but teach that, that is such a huge point. I mean, seriously, yeah. it's like how many people do you know that they do a joint venture together, they start working together, they become partners and they've never had even one tenth of that conversation. Yeah. There's nothing in writing. And, and like you said, maybe we get crossways or, or how about this one? This one screwed me for millions, right? Millions. Um, they got divorced. And in the divorce, the wife got half the stock that he owned in the partnership we had. And now I'm dealing with the wife. Yeah. Who ain't happy. Who wants to like cut the balls off her ex-husband, right? Right? 
or like you said, this guy, I have this other deal that I did. We raised five million for this company. And and then this is no shit story. So you know these chips and the credit cards? Mm-hmm. These chips right here? These yep. little chips? The yep. little chip right there? Mm-hmm. I raised money for a company called IntelliCard. They invented these chips in 1984, 85. I raised five million for them. They were in bed with they they were in negotiations with um American Express, MasterCard, and Visa. I was going to be a billionaire. The stock went from uh, ten cents to like a dollar twenty. So we were up twelve times our money, and I, I, I swear I thought this was going to be the the biggest deal of my life. And then the the owner, the CEO, had a heart attack and died. Holy shit! The wife inherited had all the stock. She ended up having an affair with a, the attorney of the corporation, and they sold the technology, and it only resurfaced what eight years ago, ten years ago. It disappeared for 20 years. That's insane. I know. I was like, like, what? You know, so you just never know. And like you said, you you can't really think of all of the things you can think about. Like, hey, if you get sick or if you get in a car accident, but you still just need to have, you know, something thought that thought through. And then you have to have buy sell agreements, right? So you can buy sell each other out. So, hey, if something happens, I'm going to buy you out or you buy me out. And we have we have an exit plan, you know, just like they do with a prenuptial marriage agreement. What do you think? What would you say is like, the biggest uh, financial mistake you ever made and what'd you learn from it? Oh, trusting people and just believing in people. And I, I can, you know, I've made that multiple times. Um, I, I, I love people. I love entrepreneurs. I love dreams and visions. And, um, and I've made a lot of investments that I shouldn't have made because uh, I just shouldn't have made them because I trusted people. And I, you know, that's, that's kind of why I started out this conversation talking about this stuff because mm-hmm. I've been hurt so many times. It's like, okay, now it's part of my, you know, this is part of my, you know, repertoire. I, I'm going to figure this person out before I put money into them and invest in them because it sounds like a great, lots of people have great ideas, right? So how do you they can't execute? What, what good is that? So my question is, uh, so being, like you said, I'm, I'm pretty young, 26. So I haven't been screwed over a, a whole bunch of times. Um, so I'm still very like optimistic, I guess. I believe like, you know, everybody's good until proven otherwise. And how do you kind of keep like a healthy level of skepticism? Um, by, but also not turn into like this, like cynical asshole at the same time as you get older and, and get, see more experiences and see more experiences. Like, okay, here's a perfect example. I read this book called, um, if you're in my office, it's too late it's a book about divorce and it's written by a divorce lawyer. And he's talking, he's telling all these stories about all the people who've been in his office and uh, basically giving advice on what not to do. If you, and I'm not married, but I'm like, you know, it's a good read for one day if I am. Um, So reading that you, because that's your experience, you get the idea that all divorce lawyers, because all they see, and he says it in the book, he's like, just because every every everybody that a divorce lawyer meets on a daily basis is getting divorced, so it makes them feel like nobody's having a, high, a happy marriage. The same way that a heart surgeon, uh, every person they see is having a heart attack or whatever, but not everybody's having a heart attack. So I kind of saw that, and I was like, okay, just reading this book alone made me quite a bit more cynical about marriage and love and stuff like that. But I was like, I can't imagine if if that was my experience on a daily basis. Um, so how do you go through all these experiences where this person lied to you, this person ripped you off, this person wasn't who they said they were and, um, still be able to meet somebody and not be cynical. 
No, that's a, that's a great question. And, and that, for me, and I think this might be true for a lot of people, it's like, look, I am, this is my being. Like I'm charismatic, I'm fun, I like people. I like helping people. I believe in the thing that Zig Ziglar taught me in the 80s, helping up people get what they want and you'll get what you want, right? So I believe in that. So I just can't be that asshole. I just, it's just not in me. Like, like a few times in my career, I've completely blown up and had to lay off people and fire people. And I actually cry and tear up going, this is just terrible, right? And so in, in a couple situations, I've had a person that I've partnered with what, that was that person, that, that was that cynical. So Mm-hmm. that's kind of a good balance that you can always use them as the good cop, bad cop. And you go, well, I got, you know, I got a partner. I got to check with him and they, they can be that person. Cause some people have no problem being that cynical asshole. Right. I just, it's just not me. I can't do it. Right. So I, what I do is I avoid getting in those situations where I have to be it. Right. Like I was just watching this big thing on David Foster and he was like, he was like, whenever he gets in a confrontation, he just runs. That's why he's been married five times and this stuff. But for me, I just more cautious about who I get involved with and who I do it. And I take more time. Like I, I, I have more time to like, I don't have to be the first person to write the check. I don't have to be the first person to ink the deal. Let's take some time. Let's look at this. Let's make sure. And really, and, and really value eight, uh, the priorities. I have another cool little story of, of, uh, of, uh, of priorities. Uh, this is a really good story for people that, that, and I, I give the speech on commitment, priorities, commitment, right? And you'll appreciate this too. So as a guy like me who looks at deals for a living, like I'm much like think of Shark Tank, that's what I've done my whole life, right? I've looked at deals, invest in deals, raise money, and help companies. So when you do that, you have your hands in a lot of pots. There's like, no, there's no focus, right? Because it's like, I'm helping this option, I'm helping this job, you know, like an agency or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so at, at one point I got, I heard this guy give this, this thing on commitment. He goes, do you know there's levels of commitment? And, and, you know, they did a study is that this guy ran, a, he was a, he ran, he was a president of a multi-billion dollar division of a multi-billion dollar company. And they ran the study for a whole year within their executive management team. And they did a study on commitment and success of commitment. And they found that if a, if a person leading a project was 70% committed to that project, it failed 90% of the time. And then if they were 80% committed, it went up to like, you know, failure of, you know, 80 to 75%. But it wasn't until you were like 100% committed, did you even have like a 60% chance of success. And boom, that just like, like rocked my world. Like going, dude, I'm investing in all these companies, but I'm not really committed to helping them see them through and getting them to be successful. So I got to pair back how I'm scaling what I'm doing. And I just really kind of been taking that to heart forever going, am I really committed to this investment? Am I really committed to building this company? Am I really committed to this direction? And again, for like you, you're young. The, the decisions you make now might affect you for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years. You know, you, you get yourself into a commitment or to a business. And, and I'll give you one, one example of this. So my youngest son, he became a golf influencer. First, he dropped out of high school, which I was not happy about. He became a golf influencer, had the number one YouTube channel for golf for golf outside of like Taylor made and the big, the big companies, but he was the number one YouTube influencer in the world. Everywhere we go, people see, see him and talk about him. He started knocking down 10 grand a month, making money. We launched the membership side, info products, all this kind of stuff, dealing with some of the coolest golf pros in the world. He went and did an ayahuasca retreat. And at this ayahuasca retreat, he had this awakening, kind of this thought process going, do I want to be doing this three years from now? Do I want to be doing this five years from now? And he's like, you know, I really don't. I really don't want to be doing this five years from now. So he literally, at like your age, like 24 years old, he was a couple years younger, dude, he literally just said, I'm done. 
I'm walking away from my golf YouTube channel. I'm like, no, 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 you can't just walk away. You're, you're not gonna, you know, you're making this money. You, you, you gotta sell the asset. You gotta do something. Nope, I don't want to do it. I'm out. And he just like folded up tent and started doing something else. Uh, Michael, wow. Michael Chang or Mike Chang from Six Pack. It's called like Six Minute Abs or Six Six Pack Abs. Very famous fitness influencer. Same exact story. Did an ayahuasca trip. Was like, I don't want to do this anymore and just quit. Uh, just <laughs> something about that ayahuasca. Right? That, that's why I'm not going to mess with that until I'm like set for life. Because then I afford <laughs> to to not not have to do anything. Um, man, that's crazy. That's so. That story is like. Identically, it's identical to the uh, the six pack abs guy. Um, you know, you think about that as an entrepreneur, you go, okay, what are the decisions you're going to be making the next two months, six months, a year that could put you in a position where you can't change what you're doing five years from now or the commitments you've made and the integrity. So like for me, I'll give you a perfect example. I am now the entrepreneur and we are now allowing investors to invest in LaunchCard, our e-commerce platform. So that's a serious thing, right? I'm saying, give me a million of your dollars. Give me a hundred thousand of your dollars. Give me 50,000 of your dollars. Now I'm committing to you. I'm going to build this company, right? So the minute it's my money, I can walk away whenever I want, right? It's my money. But the minute I take your money, I can't walk away if I have integrity. Mm-hmm. But I can't. I have to like see it through. I have to keep going. I have to course correct. You know, and here we are uh, and, and I'm sitting there going with the COVID-19, right? I thought that we're, I thought this is it. My little startup's over, pull up, fold up tent and go home, you know, but now e-commerce is like the hottest thing in the world and investors are calling us. So, but you know, just, you just never know what's going to happen in life. So you got to make sure that those things you do and those commitments you make, you're committed to them. Commitment's huge. What, uh, um, how do you, so, so I'm sure you get a lot of opportunities and probably at least once a week, somebody wants you to be part of some venture or something that involves your time. How do you determine as you make more money, become more successful, build more connections, where you spend your time in terms of the uh, ventures that you choose to take on and put your time behind? That's a great question. It kind of goes, it kind of all ties us together. It's clarity of vision and future, right? So I have to have clarity of what I want to accomplish in the next three years, five years, 10 years. And I have to have, I have to have the blinders on like I'm racing on the racetrack. Right. And I have to have my little checklist and go, does this opportunity fit within my vision of where I want to go? And I have to have, I have to be disciplined to say no. Right. So it's, and again, you'll hear this from a lot of people. The more you got to say no, no, no. And the more no's you say, the closer you are to success, especially when you're in a situation where you have opportunity come to you three, four, five times a day. Right. So it's like I have my little gatekeepers that keep stuff out. Like even even with you. Right. Somehow, because of, because of code, like there's probably no way you would have got to me if it wasn't through Cody. Because I just like I'm not in the business of doing, you know, podcasts and I kind of looked you up. I'm like, yeah, cool. I like this kind of kid. Right. So but more than likely, it's like it's just not it's just not there for me. Right. So it's it's really clarity. Right. Clarity of where you want to go on vision and the ability to say no and, and, and creating your own checklist. Going to check this box right management, right team, right integrities, right values. Does it move my goals forward? Does, can I help move them forward so it's not one-sided? And then, you know, no, pass quick. So it's just like that saying with your hiring people. Slow to hire, fast to fire. So same thing. Slow to commit to a, a deal. Make sure it's really what you want to do or an opportunity. And fast to say, nope, that doesn't fit. doesn't fit my goals and it's not within my clarity of where I want to go. How'd you come up with your vision and, and your checklist of uh, it has to fit this criteria for me to, to do this? 
you know what, that, that just kind of goes back to my business model, right? So I have my overall vision of where I want to take our business. And then in order for that business to grow, I need influencers, I need celebrities, um, you know, whatever that might be, right? And so if it doesn't fit within that to, to help me grow my business, and then, and then, of course, with our business, can we provide value on the flip side of that coin to whoever we're talking to? So really, it's really dictated by, you know, your vision of where you're going with your own, with your own life, your own business, your own passions. What are, what are some of the, the like biggest mistakes that you see people make in the, most of our, our listeners, they're probably late twenties, early thirties. Um, so what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes people make or um, some of the things that they don't spend enough time thinking about in, in that age group? So the biggest one, as far as what they don't spend enough time thinking about, let me ask you this question. How much money do you invest on a monthly basis? Like $2,000. And what do you invest in? S&P 500 index fund. Okay. That's it, right? Most people don't invest at all, right? They don't invest. The only reason I do that is because I had the conversation with Cody. He's like, dude, put something away every month. And I was like, okay, let me just set it and forget it. Yeah. So, so with that, you, and you've spent a lot of money on personal development, I'm sure in the last couple of years. Buying I, the reason courses. I don't spend more on real estate or that or a S&P 500 is because um, my mentor told me until you're making a hundred thousand a month net profit post tax, invest the majority of your income into your skill sets. Right. So, so there, I was going to say there's two parts of the investment world. It's like invest in yourself and this stuff that the five inches between your ears, because no one could ever take that from you. You can never lose it. No, no COVID-19, nothing can ever take what you put in between your two ears and then actually invest. So I came up with this concept the other day because I'm going to start teaching investing again because uh, I, I have so much experience in that. And, and I actually went 15 years and I didn't invest because I was putting all my money into my, into my, and then when I say I didn't invest, I invest in high risk, high return, you know, shark tank, you know, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. but I really wasn't playing the market. And I thought to myself, God, if all I did was buy one share of Berkshire Hathaway, you know, and they're Berkshire Hathaway B shares where they're affordable. And I bought one share a month or even right now, if you'd have bought one share of Microsoft a month for, for 10 years, you'd be millionaire, multimillionaire. Amazon, if you'd have bought one share of Amazon at $35 a share, one at $40 a share, one at $50 a share, and just keep buying one share a month, you'd make, you'd make a ton of money. Right now, I just bought, I bought, and I'm trying to teach this to my kids, right? So I just bought one share of Match.com. Because I think Match, the dating service and online dating, and kind of, there's a whole bunch of, you know, analytics to make it a good, a good investment as well. But there's just so many good buys out there. And really, it comes back to doing it on a regular basis. So you're, you're feeding your brain on a regular basis and you're putting stuff in your portfolio on a regular basis. And that's the only way you can guarantee to create wealth, right? And you have, and again, everybody can put $25 in, in a stock. Everybody, who can't put 25? I mean, if you're out there and you want to be an entrepreneur and you're living, you can put $25, $50 in a stock once a month. Forget you own it. And, and, and think, take that Berkshire Hathaway, that Warren Buffett mentality. You know, the reason Warren Buffett's the biggest investor in the world is because back when I was a kid, 21 years old, he was buying stocks like Coca-Cola with the idea I'm going to buy it and never sell it because Coca-Cola's going to be around forever. So, so you, you have to ask yourself now, what are the best stocks? So here, I'll give you a couple tips. So T, you know, you've heard software as a service, SaaS companies, which mm-hmm. I like to invest in SaaS companies, but the new one is T-A-S-S, uh, transportation as a service, huge. Uh, 5G, any chip maker that makes chips for 5G phones, 
they're all going to be 300 to 1,000% returns in the next five to 10 years. All of them. 5G is going to change the world, right? So you buy those chip makers, you buy those phone companies, you buy that kind of stuff. You can't really lose. So, and I'll give you one other thing. So there's a company called Acorns, and I got turned on to another one just today. Mm-hmm. But there's a company called Acorns. You've heard of Acorns? Yep, Acorns and Robinhood and yeah. Well, Acorns, wow. what it does is that you use your, your, your credit card or your debit card, and every time you use it, it rounds up to the next dollar and puts that in your investment mm-hmm. account. So, it takes, you know, so you're never going to get wealthy doing that, but it gets you in the mindset because you get a report going, here's my portfolio, here's my portfolio, here's my portfolio. Yep. Um, yeah, good, good stuff. So that, that, that answers those two questions. Invest both in yourself and in your portfolio. Got to put something away. So one of the, uh, have you, I'm assuming you've probably read uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. You know what? I have. It's been a long, long, long time. And I actually started reading it again about three months ago. And I decided I don't want to read this book again. One of the things that he says is um, to not invest. And basically, the parable is is uh, leading to uh, educate you on not investing in things that you don't understand. So that's one of the things that, that's helped me. That's held me back from doing like stocks and stuff like that, because uh, I just don't understand it. And I, at least where I'm at, and I could be, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, my time is better spent building my skills that are going to advance my business rather than sitting down and trying to learn stocks and investments and stuff like that, at, at least at my age and the point where I'm at in my life. No, and I, I think that's well, that's great wisdom and thought. So just like you might invest in a mentor to help you with whatever you're doing, I spend 10, 15, 20 grand a year subscribing to newsletters from some of the best, you know, money manager, hedge fund managers, you know, stock mm, guys yeah. on, on Wall Street. And I get their newsletters every single morning of my life right now. I'm spending about an hour a day trading some options, some stocks and reading some newsletters. So I start my morning at 6, 6.15 and I read for an hour and check out the stocks and kind of read what's going on, make my decisions on what I want to buy or sell. And boom, then I'm off to my normal day. So Again, you can pay for that advice, right? Just like if you mm-hmm. were paying somebody to tell you what, what what the football teams to bet on. Find somebody you like, buy their newsletter, get it, and start tucking some stuff away. And kind of like you said, and some of the stuff you'll read about, you're going, I don't know if that makes sense to me. But if you read an article, and an analyst article on 5G and how 5G is changing with their bandwidth and the phones and what it's going to change and how fast things are going to do, and then you go, okay, well, how do I make money on 5G? Because I get that. That's easy. We're all, everybody gets that. There's a young guy that carries a phone around. And then you go, okay, well, how do I make the best money on that? Who's going to benefit from that? It's, it's not necessarily the carriers because you don't know which carrier. It's the people that make the chips, the hardware. So there's always a reverse engineering going back into, you know, where the best money is going to be made. And then you start thinking about, um, you know, like airlines, like a friend, a celebrity friend of mine mentioned, he was on a podcast I was watching. He said he, was, he, he, said he bought Hertz because it was in bankruptcy and it was coming back. And he said he bought uh, United Airlines. I'm like, oh, God, those are two of the worst stocks to buy. One, Hertz is in bankruptcy. They're trying to raise another $500 billion and screw all the shows. One of the most unscrupulous things I've ever seen on Wall Street. And luckily, the judge threw it. They had to go to court and got sued. And the judge said, yep, that's, you can't do that. And so it, the, the, it's just like it's such high risk. And then American Air, the, the Airlines, I mean, come on. Who, that's the most, who, there's no certainty in airlines, none. Right. So why would you buy those stocks when there's certainty in all kinds of other things? Interesting. I actually have a friend who also bought all he bought all the airlines on the dip. And um, 
I, I was like, why, why, I was like, what, what's your logic behind that? And he's like, they're too big to fail. The government's going to bail them out. They're not going to let them fail. And I was like, all right. <laughs> and I mean, he, he got lucky because he bought it when everything dipped and then it is rebounded quite a bit. Um, so as of right now, he's made quite a bit of money on those, but I'm just like, see, that's the thing where I'd look at that advice and I'm like, I, I would not understand that enough to be able to make a decision. Um, so right. I would only gamble with money I'm, I'm willing to lose. Um, and at, at the end of the day, I, I look at that and I'm like, this is just distracting me from what I should be focused on anyways. Right. No. And, and again, I think when, because of like what you just said, the perfect advice for you and people like you too, is look, who do you think is going to be here 30 or years from now, 50 years from now, and, and just buy one or two shares of that and just forget you own it. Just put it away. It's part of your retirement plans, you know, it, 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 and think of it that way. You know, obviously if you're trading and you're getting in and out of stocks, a lot of the people on Robinhood, you know, they can't bet on their sports and so now they're betting on the market. Um, <laughs> you can make money and you can lose money, right? But you can make, you can make a lot of same thing with cryptos, right? How many cryptocurrency millionaires are there? Yeah. What's your, uh, let's say you're, you're facing like a, a complicated problem. Uh, Meaning like, let's say you have a product and it's not selling and you've tried a couple of things and it's just not, not producing what you thought it would. What's your, what's your uh, decision-making or problem-solving process or mental model that you would use to find out why this isn't working and then decide if this is something to keep working on or just deem it sunk costs? Yeah, no, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier, tracking. If you can't track every aspect of it, is it the ad? Is it the ad copy? Is it the landing page? Is it the conversion? Is it the customer satisfaction? And you know, when it comes to product, you know, one of the one of the great sayings: if you're building a brand or you're building a product, there's nothing that sells product more than a good product, right? If Tesla came out with a crappy car, they wouldn't have sold any more cars, right? So nothing sells more product than good product. So if you know you got a great product and it's not selling, then it's, then it's just a function of everything else on your marketing funnel. But if you got a mediocre product or a product that, you know, it's not really great, you have to innovate, right? That whole saying, innovate or die. So really look at innovation. And sometimes you just got to walk away. I mean, again, as investors and, and stuff, that's another thing you learn after you make a bunch of investments in losing companies. Sometimes you just got to throw on the tail, that ain't going to fly. That ain't going to work. Um, so you have to be able to look at that. So, but, you, but again, if you can't track it, how do you know? Is it, is it the marketing? Is it the landing page? Is it the customer service? Where, where is this breaking down? Is it the price point? And so until you've gone through and tested price points, landing pages, headlines, and again, for guys like you who are just starting to get into this stuff, I mean, I've been involved with groups and organizations and products and companies where we've, we've, we've tested headlines, just headlines, to, to ad nauseum, and one headline could outpull another headline by 10 times, just the headline. And when you can get a headline to get 10 times better increase on, you know, a click or a conversion or the next action, that's the difference between making money and going broke. So it, 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 it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a science, right? More than it's an art. What is, I, your day, what is your day look like right now? Uh, your typical Wednesday, per se. Yeah, well, I think that kind of changes based on where we're all because, because we're running a startup, I'm really working on financials, financial projections, business plans, um, teeing up everything for our raise and starting to, you know, having a, a methodology where I ping some venture capitalists and private equity funds and hedge funds and just, hey, here's who we are. We're not ready for you yet. I want to get on your radar screen. I want you to start watching me because I'm going to be looking for a $50 million raise a year from now. I'd like you guys to be on the radar screen. 
doing my research. So I did, so I give an example, I did some research to a company called PitchBook of all the investors in the country that invest in e-commerce type SaaS platforms. I got a list of 2,200 of them. So now I'm gonna go every day, I gotta go through these 2,200 firms, go look at their website, go analyze them, go look at the people, take my notes, figure, yes, that's a, somebody who I wanna pitch. Nope, that's somebody I don't wanna pitch. And then figure out a plan to pitch them, implementing the technology to do that. And then of course I have a team, I do my team check-ins, which by the way, I just realized I have a team check-in every Wednesday that I missed for this. And I'm like, I don't know how I did that, but I, I can't believe I scheduled this or allowed this to be scheduled during my team check-in. So they were like, hey, how come you're not on the call? I'm like, I'm not on the podcast. Um, but you know, you're doing your team check-in and, and, and just like you said, you guys did the reports that they put together for you so you can check your stuff. I'm looking at the numbers, you know, send me the reports. Let me look at the stats. What's, what's, my, C, what's my CACs today? What's, my, what's going on with my conversions? What's happening? What can we do? Are, we, are the ads getting ad fatigue? Let me see this kind of stuff. Because I'm one of these guys that I've been burned by so many agencies where whether it was a PR agency, a Facebook advertising agency, uh, it doesn't matter what it was. I've just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and felt like I got screwed. So I decided at one point, I said, look, I'm going to learn this stuff. I learned how to make WordPress websites. I learned how to do graphics. I learned how to do Photoshop. I learned how to do video editing. I learned how to do Instagram ads. I learned how to do Google pay-per-click. I learned how to do YouTube stuff. I could do it all. And I personally, all last year, I managed, I managed, a, a, when I started doing this, it was like 2016, I managed like a million dollar uh, a year budget of advertising. So now when I want to hire an agency, I want to deal with somebody, I know if they're full of shit. I can tell instantly. I mean, just show me some of your stuff. Let me talk to you for a half hour and I can tell you if you know what you're doing because I'm, I'm sick of getting burned by that kind of stuff. So again, it kind of goes back to a lot of entrepreneurs. You got to take the initiatives to learn yourself and, and get that skill set. Uh, so, you know, so, so again, now as that CEO, I can manage some people. I can look at some stuff. I can coach some of the people that work for me and go, Hey, look, this lab looks like we're getting ad fatigue. I'm seeing the CPM rates go down. I'm seeing my CPCs go up, whatever, whatever that is. Right. And I can kind of manage that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what my day looks like. And then, of course, I got a, a wife and I got my first grandkid in my life. So I rush home and, you know, spend some family time. And But, you know, us entrepreneurs, we never turn it off, right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a super important thing I tell people all the time. Everybody wants to outsource their marketing and just not think about it, not know anything about it. And I'm like, I've never seen anybody successfully be able to do that. I've never seen anybody be able to hand somebody a wad of cash and say, take over my marketing. I don't want to know anything about it and then successfully do it. It's just, I just haven't seen it personally. So um, I think that, and Russell Brunson says it too. He's like the difference between people who succeed and people who do okay are the ones that succeed. They fall in love with the marketing of the thing, not just running the business. Um, And I'm like, that's so true Um, because most people like everybody's read the e-myth and uh, one of the bit most basic concepts in that book is people get into the pie business because they love pies, not because they love marketing pies and doing accounting and all that kind of stuff. So um, huge mistake. Uh, cool. So, uh, we're, so, so we're let me ask you a question. Much- Do you, 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 he, Gerber lives like 10 minutes from where I'm sitting. Really? Yeah. You want to get him on your podcast? I'd love that. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, he's the author of the E-Myth. Yeah, no, I haven't talked to him or his wife in a while. So I'll uh, I'll dig up a text and see if they're interested. If so, I'll make an introduction for you. 
Yeah, that'd be awesome. He's got one of the that's like one of the most famous books. Uh, he's a rock star, man. Everybody, everyone starts a business, read that book. And you know what? Russell's a perfect example of what you just said. So I, I've, I've known Russell since like 2004, maybe or 2002. So, so I knew Russell when he just started first starting doing affiliate marketing stuff. And, and he is, he's, he's done an amazing job, done a really good job. And he's good at, he has fell in love with his marketing. <coughs> and it's yeah. fun, right? Because it's one of those things like an artist creates something and there's a tangible result and you see something or a sculptor sculpts and you see something. Marketing's the same way. Like there's not, there's nothing that a better feeling than to just spin the dials and tweak something and, oh, dude, I got it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I made more. Oh, yeah, that, you know, just have it work. It's very rewarding. Yeah, I love that. And, and especially now with the internet, it happens so fast. Like you can do something one day and get a 10x on it the next day or within the next few days. It's, yeah. it's like pretty amazing. Um, I feel like we're, like we're in the best time that's ever existed for running a business and getting a business off the ground. Um, yeah. Cool. So we're just about up on time. I want to be respectful of your time. So uh, let everybody know where they can find out more about you and uh, connect with you. Well, the one thing I kind of wanted to let everyone know is like we launchcart.com. It's like you're launching a shocker, a rocket ship or your shopping cart launchcart.com. We got a free e-commerce platform. We're going after Shopify. I have a big hairy audacious goal to take some market share from Shopify, which by the way, the stock's tripled in the last 90 days. It's gone from 20 billion or no, $40 billion market cap to 120 billion. The original investors who put 50 grand in that (laughs) turned their 50 grand into over $400 million. Insane. So we're going to go take some market share from those guys. But right now we're in phase one of our, of our, of our cycle. And if you want to do t-shirts, hats, hoodies, flip-flops, bathing suits, towels, bean bags, your logo, your brand, you want to do your own merch, you can go sign up for free. We have a full blown integration with one of the largest companies in the world for print on demand. And you can upload your logo and have a store up and going a couple hours and you have to pay for no inventory, no inventory up cost, front, front costs. We take 3% of your sales. So when you sell a shirt for $25, we take 3, 3% and then you only have to pay for the shirt or the hoodie or the hat or whatever after you sell it. So there's no money up front for anything. It's all print on demand. What a, actually, I have one more question uh, based on what you just said. What's the problem that LaunchCart solves that uh, Shopify doesn't or what does it do better? Well, that's a good one. So the first one is barrier of entry, right? So, so there's, there's people in this emerging markets and a worldwide market and worldwide e-commerce, which has now exploded because of COVID, right? If you're in India, Bangladesh, South Africa, Malaysia, and in various parts of the world, even here in the United States, can you afford to set up a Shopify store for $79 a month and then go get this app and that app and this app and that app and that app and this app and this app and that app? Next thing you know, you're paying $600,000 or $800,000 a month. And no, you can't, right? So so that's one issue is just the barrier of entry. Second thing is um, what, we, what we're doing is if you take a, a digital marketing expert, right? And you say, look, there's 2,000, 3,000 apps in Shopify's app store. It's just like your phone, right? You get, you get Shopify, you get this blank slate. You can't do anything with it. You can't do support. You can't do upsells and downsells and you can't, keep, you know, so you have to go get all these apps. So we said, what are the apps that we really use? So we ping all of our e-commerce guys. We, okay, we know, we know the real e-commerce guys use these apps, this functionality. So let's create a, a, launch, a Shopify competitor. Let's create the same thing Shopify has. Let's take the top apps, the top 20 apps or give or take, and let's build that functionality into LaunchCart natively. So now you don't have to go research the app, find the app, install the app, and configure the app. 
that technology is already going to be installed and built into LaunchCart, saving you time, money, and energy. And now we're going to give away for free. So we're going to market with the freemium model, which again, if you look at the SaaS market, there hasn't ever been an e-commerce platform launch in any meaningful, in a SaaS model. Now, WooCommerce did it, but that's a WordPress. I don't count that. Um, so you have a SaaS platform launching on a freemium model, a second of millions of customers. So that's part A. Part B, which is really, really unique for us, is we're taking a page out of Alibaba, AliExpress, and Amazon. We're creating a B2B marketplace, and we're going to allow manufacturers and brands to upload their entire catalogs of products into our B2B marketplace. So I work with Carlos Santana. I work with Bethany Frankel. I work with Sofia Vergara. We can import their products into the marketplace. Now you as a seller for LaunchCart can go to the marketplace and type in jeans or shirts or pet products or whatever. And just like Google, a list of all these products will come up. And you go, okay, I want to sell that. 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 And you click buttons, and those products are automatically installed in your storefront. So it takes drop shipping and, ship and, and print on demand and drop shipping to a whole nother level. And Shopify kind of has it with Orbello tied in with Alibaba and AliExpress. But I don't want to really mess with China. I want to have U.S. products and I want to ship our U.S. products around the world. And we're going to work with real brands. Um, and so the idea is we have this B2B marketplace that's fully integrated with launch cards. And then now we can allow people to set up e-commerce stores. And to give you one analogy of that or two, one is like with Bethany Frankel, she's a shark on Shark Tank and we, we manage her store. It's, she has jeans. So think about if I had a million people that sign up for launch card and people go, I want to sell the skinny girl jeans, but, but we don't want groovygrandmas.com to be selling skinny girl jeans because it's not on brand or we don't want, you know, marijuana or us to sell it, right? You know, CBD products, you know, galore. Mm -hmm. We don't want, so they got to be on brand, but they apply and then they, they get approved. So let's say a hundred thousand people apply to sell the jeans because they love her brand. And she's well known. She's on TV. We only approve a thousand of them. If all those thousand people now sell one pair of jeans a day, 30 pairs a month, we just added 120,000 sales a month to the store. Right. Game changer. And another really one that's timely with that, let's pretend we had a, a supplier for, you know, COVID-19, stuff like this, right? You're, you're, you're like, you know, clean mm -hmm. your hands or masks. We put them in the marketplace. We allow our sellers to sell them. And now we have, you know, 100,000 sellers selling masks. Everyone's making money. Everyone's catching the trends. Everyone's doing that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what's unique about us. Nice. Super cool. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing your time with us. It's been great. And I got a lot of insight uh, personally that I can apply in my life. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Good luck to you and do what I do. Wake up every day with an attitude of gratitude and tell somebody love you. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, and I'd be forever grateful if you left us a five-star review on the app you're listening on so we can help more people. And if you want more content like this, then click that subscribe button now. And until next time, my friends, stay leveraged.